Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Movie Dicks Podcast. I'm Gabriel Chavez. And I am Paul Schendel. Today, we are trying to remember (laughs) too soon. The 2012 2012 emotional porno named Johnny Mnemonic. Oh, wait, never mind. It's it's called The Vow. This movie's called The Vow. Before we continue, this is a comedy podcast where we discuss movies. We spoil everything about the movie. If you haven't seen this movie, don't watch it. (laughs) If it is important to you that you see the movie prior to somebody shitting on it, shut it off now if you have not seen this movie and go and watch this pile of shit on Amazon or whatever it's on. So without further ado, I give you... Pablo Francisco. A car accident puts Paige in a coma, and when she wakes up with severe memory loss, her husband Leo works to win her heart again. It's a Screen Gems (laughs) release. To be honest, I haven't seen them in a while. I remember them from the early 2000s with movies like Snatch and Underworld. But as of late, they did write Burn, which is terrible. I don't know if you saw that, Paul. It's a really awful horror movie. I have not. It's it's like it wants to be Akira, but it's not. doesn't have the balls of Akira. Yeah. But ridiculous. Anyway. Are they going to do that one, by the way? Yeah. Live version with Will Smith or something? No, no, no. Leonardo DiCaprio owns it. So, like, he owns the remake rights through Appian Way, his production company. And I don't know when they're actually going to get to it. But hopefully Leonardo DiCaprio... Well... (laughs) I, I hope that they don't, but you know, like if they do, I hope that Leo has enough sense not to cast a terrible actor and to go yeah. like the indie route and find somebody that we've never seen before that has a tremendous amount of talent. You know what I mean? Yeah. But whatever. So I continue. <laughs> <laughs> they gave us Brightburn, which is terrible. Hostel, which is also terrible. That is a gutless fucking movie, man. You want to see a real torture flick? Go watch some Takashi Miike, man. <laughs> They also gave us the movie Don't Breathe, which is excellent, by the way. Like, that is a good horror movie. If you haven't seen that, that's dope. And uh, the movie Boyhood, which was my pick for Best Picture in 2015, and it lost, unfortunately, to uh, Birdman, which is also a great movie, but not nearly as good as Boyhood, in my opinion. Regardless, it was produced in association with Spyglass Entertainment, who we had the pleasure of looking at their previous releases with The Happening and The Tourist. This is our third movie produced by Gary Barber and Roger Birnbaum. Wow. They previously keep happening. (laughs) I'm going to get to that. They produced The Tourist and The Happening. Three for three, guys. I promise we're not <laughs> focusing on you, but maybe read your own scripts rather than getting coverage made by a fucking intern that you probably have no idea what they're doing and don't plan on actually paying them. You fucking scumbags. <laughs> Pay your interns. Seriously, man. These movies have a few things in common now. Spyglass Entertainment, Barber and Burnbaum, and terrible scripts. I think that I'm just going to... Every movie that we think about doing, I'm going to look if it's Barber and Burnbaum and then like kind of shuffle it off that way it doesn't seem like we're continually attacking these sons of bitches but regardless it stars my future second wife rachel mcadams seriously (laughs) seriously i am in love with this woman and and in my mind she can do no wrong but i'm beginning to reevaluate that position with this movie It actually stars Channing Tatum. I say actually because while the central protagonist in conflict should be this woman trying to piece her life and heart back together, we are stuck looking at the Muppet and how he can, and I'm quoting here, quote, get her to love me again. I know that's meant to be romantic, but it's not. Channing's character is extremely selfish in this movie and is consistently thinking of his own needs rather than those of his wife. He constantly gaslights her and blames her for not remembering things and never fails to complain about how things make him 
him feel. Rachel, you all inevitably know from The Notebook and the excellent film known as Spotlight, and which she actually got nominated for her first Oscar nomination, and one of my personal favorites I mentioned before about time. Channing Tatum, you'll know from 21 Jump Street, Magic Mike, and G.I. Joe. Before I move on, I think it's a crime that more people have not seen the stunning film called Disobedience with Rachel McAdams and Rachel Weisz from 2017. Seriously, it's heartbreaking and so unbelievably honest. It's a wonder more people didn't see it in theaters and talk about it. If you haven't seen it, watch this fucking movie, man. Like, seriously, it's so good. I'm just gonna leave it at that. Also, if you want to see an actually great movie about someone fighting to win the love of their life back due to a debilitating brain injury, check out Sarah Polly's 2006 drama called Away From Her with Julie Christie and Gordon Pinsett. It's unquestionably brilliant and heartbreaking. It was nominated for two Oscars, unlike this manipulative garbage. Okay, <laughs> back to funny shit. It also stars the almost always excellent and seemingly immortal Sam Neill. Seriously, dude, this guy looks exactly the same that he did in 94. <laughs> or no, 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 no. 93. Totally fucking Dr. Jurassic Grant. Park. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, as well as the force to be reckoned with, Jessica Lange. How they both ended up in this goddamn debacle is beyond me, but I guess that's show business. Scott Speedman is bringing up the rear here, and he co-stars as an actor who no one cares about anymore, and he's limping to the barn to hold on to that chin. Just kidding. He's the ex-fiance who's inexplicably invited to every social engagement while simultaneously being the only thing Paige remembers <laughs> that she wakes up to. But seriously, this dude is like Mickey Rourke, bro, but with no talent. He's gonna see some fucked up surgery with this dude in the next 20 years like <laughs> trust me on that one seriously check out scott Wait, he's he plays the ex-fiance right yeah yeah jeremy yeah. which is like the broiest name that's ever oh existed. my god Besides, but like, he cat. was perfectly cast I'm just going to put that out there right now. Like I wanted to hit him when his face popped up on the on the screen like immediately. I'm like, "Oh, dude, that is perfect casting. Dude, He's so broy." Do you remember him from Underworld? Like that's his only claim um, to fame. No, I've never watched it. <laughs> Skip You're that. not missing anything. That's a pile of shit movie too. But there are somehow four fucking people, Paul, that wrote this thing. Abby Conn, who looks like Kellyanne Conway's sister. Mm. Go ahead, Google it. I'll wait. <laughs> She seems to be the go-to writer for romantic comedies, aka the derogatory chick flicks. She wrote some real crushers here, bro. I Feel Pretty, which is making light of body dysmorphia and how that sends a really mixed message. Never Been Kissed, yes, the Drew Barrymore flick. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> How to Be Single, and He's Just Not That Into You. Oh, and she also wrote that really terrible movie called Valentine's Day. She co-wrote with Mark Silverstein, who also wrote all those movies with her. Literally, these guys are just a pair. They only work together, and they only work on these movies. The last screenwriting credit belongs to Jason Cadams, who developed the TV show Parenthood and Roswell. Never seen either one of these, actually. I don't know if you've ever seen Roswell. I don't no. know if that was... Okay. So he his only other film credit was for the fucking terrible David Schwimmer. Remember David Schwimmer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Vehicle from 96 called Bring Paul Back Friends, Bear. man. I'm going to sign the petition. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> The screen story was written by Stuart Sender, who should have sent this back to wherever the fuck it came out of. He's not a writer, actually. He's a television producer who has done multiple TV documentaries called Remastered. No idea what they are. Some Netflix music series lost in the utter chaos that is Netflix's algorithm. This movie is supposedly based on a real story. The real life story is about a dude named Kim, who's Channing Tatum's character, and Cricket, I'm sorry, Channing Tatum's real life counterpart, and Cricket, who is Rachel McAdams. 
real life counterpart. All I can think of when I say cricket is rickety cricket from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> but Kim and Ke- Kim and Cricket Carpenter have actually divorced in real life after 25 years of marriage ah, in 2018 because Kim doesn't know how to keep his fucking dick in his pants. This guy was cheating on his wife for the better part of six years and she found out. He was actually, he started cheating on her because of the fucking success of this movie, dude. Like what a scumbag (laughs) piece of shit. Like seriously. (laughs) Nice. So (laughs) also, (laughs) also they were married in a church with all the glory of 90s hair. If you get a chance to Google their wedding picture, because it is a whole lot of 90s hair going on for both of them. Uh, but anyway, they were married in 93, uh, in his 2012 interview, or I'm sorry, in their 2012 interview with inside edition, when the movie was released, Kim said, I didn't leave her because I made a vow. And he started tearing up and like crying and acting like he was a decent person. Uh, I guess six years later in 2018, he didn't hold on to that vow so dearly. Bummer. Oh, yeah, <laughs> they didn't actually get divorced after the accident is shown in the movie the accident happened two months after their wedding and she did forget she did actually forget all of him but they stayed married and they renewed their vows in 96 three years later after dating a second time as you see in the movie well sort of seeing the movie uh, they were married for 25 years and they live in the absolute shithole of a town that is Farmington New Mexico dude what <laughs> Farmington all right Farmington. <laughs> oh Jesus <laughs> it's a good yeah, thing that they changed the venue bad. or i'm sorry that oh they God. changed the backdrop yeah. to chicago Oof. because if this took place in farmington i wouldn't have given a fuck about <laughs> this movie. <laughs> uh, uh it's directed by michael sucksy he sucks see who hasn't really i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> who hasn't really done much as a director but give us two episodes of another emotionally pornographic show called 13 Reasons Why, which is incredibly manipulative and has some of really, really fucked up ideas about glamorizing suicide for emotional revenge. Seriously, I'm glad that show is ending. I didn't know how it got renewed after the first season. I watched the first two episodes and I was just like, what the fuck, man? Like, this is sending some really fucked up messages. Like, kids... You can use suicide to get back at everybody that was mean to you. <laughs> what the fuck, man? Like some fucked up shit. Other than that, he was a production assistant, Paul. This guy who was the director. Other than those few credits I mentioned, he was a production assistant on the Moving nine on, up. <laughs> on the ninety-eight <laughs> flick called The Siege, which I actually dig that movie. I like the Siege a lot, to be honest. Mm. Deep fucking impact. Oh and- <laughs> yeah. And jungle to jungle, dude. <laughs> oh, Brendan Fraser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh. Oh, no, no, no. Jungle to ju- George of the Jungle is oh. Brendan Fraser. Jungle to Jungle is the Tim Allen piece of shit. Oh, no. <laughs> That's even worse. That's worse. Yeah. It's right a 90s Tim Allen movie. Whew. Yeah, it's bad. Whoa. It's. <laughs> <laughs> It's 104 minutes long and was produced for a tidy sum of $30 million. It was released on Friday, the 10th of February, 2012. Just in time for Valentine's Day. Yeah, absolutely. Just in time for Valentine's Day. At 2,958 theaters and saw a $41 million opening weekend. Not bad, actually, as far as romantic comedies go. It opened number one opening day against the Denzel Washington, Ryan Reynolds actioneer movie Safe House in its first week. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Fucking Menace mm. being re-released in its first weekend in 3D <laughs> for the ball 
ball licking troll that is known as George Lu- Lucas <laughs> to suck the last marrow out of a franchise that had once been great in the number three spot. The Dwayne Johnson New Line Cinema family slog called Journey to the Mysterious Island, also in its first weekend in the number four spot. And the PG 13 Akira wannabe called Chronicle, which I didn't completely hate, to be honest, but that brought up the fifth spot in, in its second <laughs> weekend of release. It was in theaters for 326 days, Paul. Almost nice. a year. Again, Jesus, good, yeah. Jesus, man. Like, why, why does it need to be in the fucking theater? For, okay. It's got staying so, power, man. For anybody that doesn't Powerful know. Powerful message. <laughs> for anybody that doesn't know how film releases work, movie comes out in theaters. Studios usually have, especially in the day of streaming, they usually have a 90-day, what's called embargo, where nobody can touch the fucking thing for about 90 days before they can stream it. And usually when it's a streaming service, they have a two-week exclusive prior to the Blu-ray or DVD release coming out. So the fact that this movie was on DVD or Blu-ray for nine months of its release, but still in theaters, is just, it's inexplicable to me. Like, why the fuck would you do that? Whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> so money. It, it actually didn't. <laughs> It would it would go on to make okay so I, I say it didn't in the sense that it didn't make a fuck ton of money but it did make a lot of money compared to the budget it made 125 million dollars domestically and 71 million dollars internationally bringing its total numbers to 196 million which isn't bad for you know a 30 million dollar movie even with 30 million dollars worth of advertising which we've spoken about before yeah. a movie's budget is doubled by the advertising you know that's still what triple. Yeah, they made back three times their investment. That's a pretty goddamn good investment. Three hundred percent. I could do that in like, the stock market. Dude. I would be fucking down. <laughs> That's like cocaine numbers almost. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, side note, this movie was shot in Toronto with a pickup unit in Chicago, which actually really bothers me when they do that kind of shit. (laughs) This gross makes this the 15th opening weekend for a movie in the month of February and the 196th opening weekend of a PG-13 rated movie. So completely forgettable in all honesty in terms of its numbers. Its lowest international splash was made in Ghana with a stunning $2,011 weekend and a $13,512 gross. The top gross movie of all time in Ghana, Paul, is the 2009 Ben Stiller sequel, Night of the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian, (laughs) (laughs) with a with a stunning $599,960 gross. Sasha, (laughs) almost put a couple uh, producers' kids through college, man. (laughs) Shit, it's pretty good. It's not terrible. Sasha Baron Cohen's god awful movie, The Dictator, claims the number two spot of all time in Ghana. And the 2012 French comedy known as Le Chef holds on to the number three spot. With 26 million people in Ghana in 2012 and an average ticket cost of 31 Ghanaian SETI, I think that's how you say it, C-E-D-I, or G-C, as they abbreviate currency, or $16.27 American, that brings total assets and seat seats to our lowest number yet paul 123.6 people saw this movie opening weekend in ghana <laughs> again our pal johnny quarter slice doesn't seem to care about these territories lately i don't know what's up with them i guess he just didn't want to go to ghana at this point it's got a 6.8 with 180,129 votes on imdb a 43 on metacritic and a splatty tomato 31 percent on rotten tomatoes and a stunning 63 percent audience score 
I mean, that's that's about as far apart as it gets, like splatty as fuck. Yeah. People somehow still like it. Regardless, my favorite reviews come from the London Evening Standard. One of my favorite reviews comes from the London Evening Standard that says, quote, not helped by an unnervingly dumb screenplay and a performance from Tatum that makes wood seem too pliable a substance <laughs> with which to describe it, end quote. Leia Rosen from The Rap writes, the strong stench from the vow is likely to overwhelm... <laughs> is likely to overwhelm the smell of popcorn in movie theaters this weekend. And finally, Ben Sachs of the Chicago Reader writes, quote, most of the time it plays like the movie adaptation of a Land's End catalog, making monogamy seem essentially or essential by associating it with high-end interior design. Lastly, it's rated PG-13 for an accident scene, sexual content, partial nudity, and some language. Speaking of which, the partial nudity is in fact Channing Tatum as a Hail Mary to all the female audience members <laughs> to keep them from getting bored in this movie. So, Paul, I'm crouched behind a home plate. I got my worked-in glove ready, and I'm crouched so low you can see the position of my testicles in my excessively tight baseball pants. So... Pitch this goddamn thing to me. All right, all right, all right. You know how Channing Tatum is really hot shit right now with the ladies? Sure. And me, sure. yeah. Not just the ladies either. Let me tell you about that. But <laughs> we've got a movie. Romantic uh, romantic comedy movie. But okay. we've got him lined up. We're going to have the best director of photography here to get the lighting just perfect on Channing Tatum's glorious, glorious body. Wow. We're going to have a nude scene with him. We're going to see full rear nudity. Wait, gonna... like ball sack hanging between the, the no, butt? No, no, no. Oh, no, okay. It's okay. PG-13. Okay. Oh, okay. We're going to sneak as much gratuitous nudity as we can <laughs> in here. We're going to have nipples. We're going to have tight, clenched butt cheeks glistening <laughs> in the darkness. Wow, it sounds like you put a lot of thought into this. It's going to be. Oh, my God. It's going to be so good. Do you, do you, do you want <sighs> this towel to wipe up that spit and cum that you got all over my desk? Oh, it's, uh, it's too late for that. <laughs> I have to call the janitor. <laughs> so, what do you think? Uh, t- t- uh, we're gonna throw, we're gonna throw in as a little thing about uh, the plot. Some kind of lady loses her memory, and Channing Tatum has to win her back. But but it's mostly about Channing Tatum's cum gutters and ass, right? <laughs> Actually, he's not quite developed his cum gutters from uh, oh. Action Mike. He's more realistic in this. He's not such a Barbie doll okay. in this one. Okay, okay, but, that, that oh my god, Little America. He's been working on his cheeks real hard, <laughs> real great. hard. Great, great. Okay, yeah, sure, I got so it. Give Here's me your money. <laughs> give me your money. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so right off, right off the bat, I hate romantic comedies for the most part. I really do. Like, there's there's a few there's a few that I'm suckers for, you know, along the years. But I, I'd like to think that most of mine have the ones that I like have like a, a storyline that kind of isn't about the romance. I say this for movies like About Time, which is about a guy who discovers that he can manipulate time when he turns 21. I think is the age, but like. Mm-hmm. It's it's more of a time travel story that ends up being about his like sense of loss with his father and connection with his father rather than necessarily his relationship. Like his relationship is there and it's an important part in his life, but while it's a romantic comedy, I feel it's more of a sci-fi film. So there's like movies like that and like Cashback is one of my favorites from 2004, which I think is a fucking brilliant movie. By the way, he uh sexually molests a lot of women in that movie, like sexually assaults. Oh, them. yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Can't cash cross back, over that. Cash back. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I should put a disclaimer on that. Cashback was a product of its time. 
I don't think that there was the <laughs> discussion there about the sexual misconduct that was occurring <laughs> on the screen there, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I still have a thing for it. I think it's incredibly well-written, but you know, I mean, it does have its problems for sure. But I will say that my number one all-time favorite romantic comedy, if you can call it that, is High Fidelity with John Cusack. Like, I fucking love that oh, movie. Yeah. That movie's great. That, that yeah, movie that is, is all great. about owning a record shop and coming <laughs> into your own and like trying to figure out your life like post 30, post graduate, you know what I mean? And like that, his like love life is just him trying to figure out why he's such a fuck up. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. not necessarily about his love life as much as it is about that. So and it has the best Jack Black ever, oh, I think. absolutely, sure. bro. Like <laughs> even over Tropic Thunder, which I love him in that movie, like fucking Jack Black in that movie is absolutely incredible. I think I think my favorite scene in <laughs> I think my favorite scene in high fidelity is just jack black i think it's his first introduction actually he comes in and he's like tells john cusack he's like what is this shit and he's like bitching about the music and he puts on like fucking uh what's his name uh uh god damn it like luther vandross or something like that and he's dancing around and he's like dude i am telling you this for your own fucking good that is the worst fucking sweater i've ever seen it is a cosby sweater <laughs> <laughs> i love him in that movie i absolutely do and like when he when he talks to the guy coming in about his daughter and he's like i just wanted to get that that cd where it has that song you know i just called to say i love you and he's like oh who's it for and he's like my daughter and he's like oh oh is your daughter in a coma <laughs> it's so good i fucking love him in that movie yeah. but all that being said i i mostly hate romantic comedies and i hate how this movie right off the bat starts off with cheery upbeat music <laughs> great soft like halo lighting and yeah. there's like very obviously fake snow all over everything that they're shooting <laughs> like this is this okay. is a real problem like when you work in the film industry you get to see these things all the time and like when you go and see movies like when people don't try it looks like shit and it just fucking pisses you off and it pulls you out of it because you know that it, they aren't trying it's like oh well that guy really phoned it in that day like fuck now i'm out of the movie you know what i mean so all right, all right. i gotta i gotta say that i I recommended this movie because uh, uh, when my wife and I were first dating, we decided that we were going to do a movie exchange and that I would watch a movie that she wanted to watch and <laughs> that she would watch a movie that I wanted to watch. So she chose this movie. I mean, I typically hate romantic comedies, <laughs> romance movies in general, but, uh, you know, so I, I think I hated it at the time that I saw it. <laughs> but my movie of choice was uh, I Saw the Devil, which is a South oh, Korean. Oh, yeah. Killer. Horrendously, movie. horrendously fucked up movie. And <laughs> she she walked out, like, I think maybe a third through the movie did after, she like, did a she get scene. to did she get to the stabbing scene in the car cuz i think that's may may have been where she walked out that's, but we've that's never generally when people like give up on that movie is that scene but she's never we've never done a movie exchange after that in our like 7 year relationship at this point <laughs> so but anyways, so I recommended this movie. I just rewatched it today. I think I'm going to have to go to bat for this movie. Like, I didn't hate it. I, I kind of, maybe I'm a sap. You get, you're getting soft in but your old age. I though. guess so. I don't know. But you weren't, I, you weren't, you weren't drowning in the sap of this fucking movie, like trying to claw your way out of it. I think if you 
backup from the cynicism in it. <laughs> like, first of all, full disclosure, I have had to deal with the traumatic brain injury in my life. My yeah, my dad, dad was in a car accident and yeah. he had long-term, short-term memory loss, whole host of other things, like all kinds of cognitive problems. So like a traumatic brain injury is like, no, no joke. I mean, I can right. take issue with this movie because they, I don't think they portray it realistically enough like she's walking around and, and the only problem is she's like missing a piece of her memory for you know whatever three yeah. five years i forget how long they're supposed five to be years there. yeah but she has no other problems like no headaches no mood swings no nerve problems no yeah. short-term memory problems no seizures no sensitive to the yeah. delight none of yeah. that shit. Yeah. None, nothing Nothing else. And of course, she, <laughs> she gets her head smashed with a windshield, which looks totally unrealistic. And then she has like a little white scar yeah. on the side of her head. <laughs> like, yeah. uh-huh, uh-huh. No. But, yeah. <laughs> but no, I think I'm going to have to, I'm going to try to try to go to bat for this right. movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot, a lot of good stuff going for it. And if you, if you back up from a view of cynicism and you like see the relationship and think Rachel McAdams, her character arc is kind of unique in, I mean, I haven't seen as many movies as you, but she has this character arc where she's like, she gets reverted back to her like basic bitch form. <laughs> And that she has to unlearn all of that shit throughout the movie. There is there is a whole and, subtextual story in here about wasp culture, which I thought was kind of yep. interesting. But yep. it, it's also highly annoying because I hate wasp culture. <laughs> but regardless, so one of the biggest problems that I have in this movie that I will continually mention throughout this podcast is that they're in Chicago. And Chicago is one of the largest cities in the country, number one. It's like 8.3 million people in Chicago. But Chicago is essentially divided into North Chicago and South Chicago. And South Chicago is the more economically run down area where segregation absolutely fucking exists in the midwest like milwaukee wisconsin where my wife is from is the most segregated fucking city in the country and i'm not joking when i say if you're on the north side of the freeway and you're hanging out in that neighborhood and you literally walk two blocks south under the freeway overpass near milwaukee public market and you walk into the south part you'll see black people but you won't see them on the north side it is that fucking segregated but chicago is very much the same way but i will continually mention this throughout this podcast there is not one fucking person of color in this whole <laughs> goddamn movie like not one like not even yeah. i mean i take issue when the only people of color in movies are like the people that are like bartenders or in like service industry jobs because i'm like what that's all that we can fucking do like there's not gonna be a black doctor god forbid holy shit but I i'm gonna well, continue they added i mean they added a dose of realism when they said they lived on the north side but they're driving <laughs> in that scene. They're driving from farther away. Like, I, I still have a fucking problem with that because they're driving from farther away and she takes the L train, like, all over the fucking city. But she still doesn't have any black people on the train. Like, come on, bro. You know, like, black people work in downtown. Like, it's fucking ridiculous. But I'm, I'm going to continue to come back to that. But straight off the bat, you know, I said fake snow. It's also supposed to be cold outside. You know, there's this whole thing, the recurring thing about like, oh, her hands are cold and he needs to blow on them. But there's no breath outside. It's like fucking perfectly warm. It looks warm outside. But then again, whatever, you know, movie magic. I'll, I'll suspend that for a second. But it's even more coincidental how literally. Hold on. You got to back up. Rewind the movie. 
<laughs> see those clenched cheeks real quick. Oh, no, I'm good. I'm <laughs> great. Seriously, I'm good. You know, I, I, I'll look at Rachel McAdams all day, but they spent way too long on the reversal. And I was just like, come on. <laughs> Pretty gratuitous. <laughs> Pretty gratuitous. Yeah. And you can tell that he's like clenching his ass too. I don't know if they put like a, a penny in it. So that way he'd have something to hold on to. That way he was clenched as he was walking. It's pretty bad. But regardless, it's coincidental in the opening scene, Paul, that the truck hits them literally five seconds after she takes her seatbelt off. Okay, number one, yeah. she's talking about that she wants to get pregnant and like she's trying to be romantic about saying that she's going to get pregnant in the car and that there's like enough tick and like, you know, the chances of her getting pregnant while she's in the car. But he doesn't pull the fucking car over. He sits it in the middle of the fucking travel lane during a pretty severe, like heavy snowfall. And this fucking truck comes up and blasts them in the rear end. And I was just like, they... They kind of deserve that, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like there was a wide open space directly on his right. All he had to do was pull over a little bit. And I don't know the real life story about how they actually got hit, you know, or how she suffered the traumatic brain injury. It well, if accident. it was in Farmington, it was a drunk driver. Absolutely. Dude. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, but it, immediately off the bat, I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, insurance companies aren't going to like this shit. She took her fucking seatbelt off. That's it. They fucked them, you know, like, oh, we're not paying shit. It's all coming out of your pocket, motherfucker. But that's because insurance companies are scumbag pieces of shit. But I digress. <laughs> So my number one most irritating thing in this movie, other than the story structure and the fucking emotional pornography that it puts on display <laughs> and the fact that there are any black people in this movie is the fact that the central place that they constantly meet that is their like place that they fell in love and whatever and is a big part of their lives, including that they wrote their fucking vows on the menu is named Cafe Mnemonic. There is not a cafe mnemonic <laughs> in fucking Chicago, number one. And number two, a mnemonic, if you don't know what it is, is a mental device that you use in order to remember something. It's like you associate something or whatever, whatever it may be. It's called a mnemonic. God damn, that is clever writing. Let me tell <laughs> clever you. Clever as shit, dude. Like this is <laughs> this is like George Bush standing on the fucking like the aircraft carrier saying, mission accomplished, fucking subtlety. You know what I mean? Like this isn't <laughs> come on. But besides the fact, this is really terrible foreshadowing, really terrible fucking writing. But that's that's just one of my many complaints. Is they and they keep showing the fucking sign, Paul. I'm like, I get it. You're <laughs> clever. Cut it out. They Stop. paid a lot of money to make that sign. All right? Oh my god, it. Jesus Christ. So. I got a problem. This guy, man, this guy is the dumbest fuck. Okay. So I don't like Channing Tatum first off. Okay. I was just talking to my wife about this. She's a huge fan of Channing Tatum. That's her second husband. <laughs> Adams is my second wife. <laughs> like that's oh. fine but we're sitting there and we're watching it and i do not like channing tatum like i i appreciate him i think that he's funny and i think that i like him in his comedic roles but i don't think that the man can act like it still remains to be seen that the man can actually act and the closest that he got was the movie fox catcher in 2014 like that's a good movie a really good movie he's good in it but overall his character is not that much different than he is in real life in terms of his <laughs> athletic background so like i didn't feel like it was that much of a stretch but I felt like it was sort of trying to get away from his like heartthrob thing that he was like this muscle bound dickhead that got taken advantage of by Mr. DuPont and got duped into this scheme that Mr. DuPont was trying to do. And I bought that. And so 
I will say that. But other than that, the man hasn't shown any growth. He hasn't shown any ability to act. So all that being said. Well, I mean, if you look, I went and I was like, I don't remember hearing anything from him. And he really hasn't, he's been doing like voice acting for the Lego yeah. movie and shit. I don't know what yeah. the hell happened. I mean, was it, was it Jupiter ascending that like blew up his <laughs> career and just leveled it to the ground? I don't know. I don't know if it was that was that it blew up it more so that if he's doing the Lego movie, that's like Phil Lord and Christopher Miller who directed him in 21 Jump Street. So it's like that sort of, you know, connection. But I, I really do think that his like demand as an actor has definitely been going down because he isn't stretching his legs. You know what I mean? Like he's just becoming mm. this guy that's just in action films or like be, is a heartthrob, whatever. And it's like, I was talking to my wife about this is that he's sort of becoming Matthew McConaughey already, right? Like he's just yeah. this heartthrob that's like cute and like cut and like kind of country and whatever. And Matthew McConaughey fucked up his career until he was about 45 years old. And then he decided that he was going to start taking shit seriously. And he decided that he was going to go really off the deep end and do that movie Killer Joe. You remember that shit, yeah. Killer Joe? And that movie struck me, man. I was like, holy shit. Matthew McConaughey can act and then he followed it up with that movie called Mud and that was again I was like oh wow like he can actually act and then he came in with True Detective season one and I was like this is it the man has arrived he can act you know and then he was an interstellar and all the other shit that he's done Dallas Buyers Club and so yeah, on which yeah, he won yeah. his Oscars and like Channing needs to do that he needs to take a step yeah. back and realize that he's gonna turn into Matthew McConaughey really <laughs> fucking quickly if he's not careful and he needs to take a step back and like reinvent himself, man. Like he's not a great actor and he needs to be taken seriously if he's going to continue working in this industry. He can't just keep going off of his looks. But regardless, all that being said. Well, I mean, he's like 40 now. So you know, <laughs> he's getting he can't close. Rely, yeah. He can't rely on the state pack anymore. Like yeah. maybe that's why he hasn't been in movies recently. I don't know. I mean, Jupiter Ascending is fucking terrible. Not <laughs> <laughs> as bad as it gets. So, but regardless. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching this movie and there's a scene that she's working at the cafe, which I think she's actually working at Cafe Mnemonic. But regardless, it doesn't fucking matter because I don't want to remember. <laughs> but how ironic is that? But anyway, so he's standing there in the rain and she's sick while she's working and he, she opens up the little package and she sees like all the little cute love notes and whatnot. She looks outside. He's standing in the pouring rain getting dumped on like it's no big deal. <laughs> And I'm just like, wait, is was he just going to stand there in the rain until she noticed and get fucking pneumonia? Like, has this dickhead ever heard of an umbrella? Like, seriously. Like, I get it. It's romantic to have your hair all slicked <laughs> back by the rain and standing there. But, like, we saw that with Say Anything, you know what I mean? And we saw that again with uh, High Fidelity. So, like, we don't need to see it again in this movie. Like, There's just something about rain that is romantic, Gabe. It, you can't have a romance movie without a, a scene where the actors or actresses are like so drenched. Yeah, that's that's some real like fetish shit. I'm not gonna go into that. <laughs> <laughs> so the, it's revealed in this movie that tickling is like their thing, right? Like he tickles her, she tickles him, and it's like funny and whatnot. But they do it while they're driving, like constantly. And I'm just like, this is really fucking dangerous. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a danger zone right there but then the, but then there's this glaring moment that follows that tickling scene in the car at the beginning where she says did you fart and he's like yeah maybe you know and he's like trying to play it off and she rolls up the window uh, and all, all i could think of was the family guy episode where <laughs> peter is trying to teach meg how to date and he farts in the car and rolls up the window he's just like love the gas meg love it <laughs> 
all I could think of. Uh, I thought like, of South Park and Essen Manchiza. <laughs> they would get crazy with that. So, I mean, so, maybe, maybe uh, they're yeah. in the I mean, have you ever you're... forced your wife to do that? Because I haven't. I wait, wouldn't. wait. Are you talking about? <laughs> are you talking about? <laughs> are you talking no, about? Just uh, <laughs> rolling up the window. <laughs> No, I'm not okay. that guy that does the Dutch oven while we're in bed or anything <laughs> like that. I, I was getting worried for a second that you were going down a dark route, Paul. <laughs> All right. So anyway, so this movie, this movie immediately establishes itself as being another movie about brain damage that is in a non-linear timeline. Because that's so goddamn original. Like, come on, man. <laughs> Like there's nothing, there's nothing about either storyline that deserves cutting back and forth other than contextual. Like it's not elemental to the storyline. They could have very easily established a world and had the crash happen as the first act turn. Speaking of which, I'm going to talk about screenplay structure a lot in this movie because this movie follows the typical screenplay structure to a fucking T. Like they don't even try to deviate. And like, it's so obvious. And what, what makes it so fucking irritating when I watch movies like this is that I can tell what's going to happen long before it happens, even if I haven't seen the movie, because it is exactly the same as every other fucking movie that I've ever seen like this. So this is one of them, the non-linear storyline or the non-linear timeline. None of the scenes deserve that. It's not like Memento, how every scene hooks into the previous one by showing us a little mnemonic to allow it to go into the next scene. But regardless, these people, these people make me want to vomit because their chemistry is not there. Like Rachel, Rachel McAdams and Channing Tatum, there's no real chemistry there. You can't feel anything between the two of them other than the fact that they're both attractive. But like you don't feel anything about the relationship. And it's so obvious and like fucking ham-fistedly structured that I just I can't get into it. But what's Well, it- okay. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you there. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if that's true, but then the the kind of the movie demands that because the whole thing is that she doesn't know him or trust him. So the chemistry isn't there and that's all part of his frustration and her frustration. So you can't, you can't say that there isn't chemistry. It's, it's not intended to be there. It's all about their destruction. I, I'm talking, I'm talking about the loss of that relationship. I'm talking about the previous scenes when they're supposed to be in love i'm not talking about this i'm gonna get into the shit about them falling out of love after i i thought maybe i'm just a sap but i thought the the scene where they read their vows in the uh in the chicago museum of art in the museum yeah i thought that was good i thought that set the right tone for the movie as sappy and as derivative as it is (laughs) so you you know what crafted sap you know what i have (laughs) a problem with you know what i have a problem with in that scene is that the guy that's standing there one of their like gaggle of fucking moronic like background <laughs> characters he's standing there he's standing there with a sony camera and like uh-huh. again this is screen gems which is owned by columbia pictures which is owned <laughs> by sony but it's another one of the fucking Sony movies with a fucking shitload of Sony technology in it. But he's holding a Sony camera and it is so stabilized that this is supposed to be handheld. And like every time it's supposed to be the video footage, like from this <laughs> tiny little camera, there is it's excellent, there is excellent depth of field and yeah. fucking like <laughs> exposure yeah. and latitude. And I'm just like, get I mean that's fuck. <laughs> 
I see. I love that in like almost all movies where they're supposed to be watching like security footage. Oh, that's my favorite, or, dude! Is security footage when there's like a dolly multiple multiple angles, like close-ups. <laughs> you know, I love they, that I, shit. They, they pushed it beyond real in that, but it wasn't egregious like some other movies. Yeah, but I mean, right after they say their vows, he pronounces them husband and wife. The art museum security is like fucking chasing them through the yeah. through the fucking like museum <laughs> because they're getting married without a permit like come on dude like i know that this this movie is trying desperately to be the fucking graduate when they like run out at the end you know and like people are chasing them and they jump on the bus i know it's desperately desperately trying to get there but like security from the chicago museum of art <laughs> wouldn't chase them down i mean what are they gonna do if they catch them you know what i mean they're gonna beat the shit out of them or i mean I whatever i mean yeah they are white they wouldn't not face any yeah they wouldn't face so i mean if this was a black family like oh, you know, yeah. let's be honest here they'd you know uh, get the, the nightstick yeah <laughs> regardless uh the bean okay <laughs> yeah i took issue with that the so fucking in there it is the greasiest grimiest thing that you would not you don't even want to stand like foot away from it because of how filthy it is but it is polished to a high sheen for this shot in the movie. it's even it's that. even more weird is that like they run from the fucking like they run from the museum of art over to the bean which isn't far actually i actually i had to look that up because it's like i didn't remember where the museum in of case art people was. don't know the bean is a iconic sculpture in chicago it's this mirror polished thing you can it looks like a giant coffee bean yeah yeah it's in millennium park and millennium park is literally a one minute walk from the chicago museum of art so i was like okay maybe they're not like twisting my arm too much on this shit but what i what i really felt was offensive about this whole thing is that they run under it and god knows when they got married but there is nobody under the bean or around (laughs) the bean they just happen to land in it when they're like completely alone and they kiss and they have that romantic moment magic for you if you've ever been to the fucking bean It's swarmed with people yeah. all the time. And it's only gotten worse with the advent of like smartphones and Instagram yeah. and all that other shit. People are constantly in that, especially in the middle, because if you walk yeah. under the bean and you're looking at it, your your reflection actually reverses in the middle because there's a divot right in the middle at the apex in the middle of the bean. So if you're looking up, it's like this weird optical illusion where you see yourself in the normal reflection and all of a sudden your body like twists around into the opposite direction as you're walking out the other side. It's a really cool yeah. effect, but regardless, people are constantly instagramming on that shit so continuing on (laughs) my wife had a real problem with rachel mcadams in this movie supposedly working with clay because my wife works Uh with ceramics like that's her (laughs) fucking like medium as an artist and she's just like rachel mcadams is way too fucking clean to be like an artist that actually works (laughs) with clean and i'm like yeah no i mean that's it's absolutely true like it's 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 unbelievable but regardless i have a real (laughs) she also like leaves her her clay out for like weeks on end and it's fine and not dried out somehow, i mean but. you can you can rehydrate it i've seen that before with my wife but it's like it's it's obvious that rachel mcadams and the people that did this movie didn't do any research in terms of actually working with clay or bronze because it's another thing is like the studio that she supposedly casts these like ceramic sculptures into bronze statues with is way too small in order to do any sort of bronze oh, smelting yeah. or anything like that yeah. and there's no sand or like a sand pit or anything like that or anything for molding going on in there i'm like what the fuck i'm so confused nobody actually did any research with this thing but i will say that like this movie immediately was reminding me and i had a hard time getting into this movie because it was reminding me of 50 first dates with adam sandler and drew barrymore and that movie 
That movie, I will go on record as saying that is the creepiest fucking movie in the history of film. Because that, the whole premise of that movie, while it's supposed to be romantic and shit, put your feet in the shoes of Drew Barrymore's character for a second. At the end of the movie, like she's on the boat and with him and she wakes up every day and she's fucking pregnant. And she doesn't know why she's pregnant or whose <laughs> kids these are. And she's stuck on a boat with this oh, fucking guy Jesus. that says he's her fucking husband. And he plays back these videotapes of like their successful life together and like their marriage and shit like that imagine how creepy that is every <laughs> goddamn day that movie fucking weirded me out but uh, all i could think of was 51st dates when i'm watching this thing i'm like what the fuck is this like 51st date because this is creepy as shit but oh no amnesia this is so manipulative and expositional like of course okay so i i didn't when i first started writing my notes i didn't know anything about the real life couple and i didn't want to be too derogatory toward them but at this point knowing what i know about the real life couple i'm gonna be fucking brutal to these sons of bitches because like, this is some fucked up shit but regardless, this movie structures itself upon narration, right? Voiceover narration by Channing Tatum's character. And there is an old, old screenwriting analogy that says if you're re resorting to voiceover in your screenwriting, you're not showing what you need to show the audience on the fucking screen. It's lazy. And this isn't to say that movies with voiceover like American Beauty or Sunset Boulevard or Sin City or any other movie that uses voiceover to great effect in it isn't great and is lazy screenwriting. But this movie, he is literally narrating narrating what's happening to who like this isn't a letter that he's reading from he's literally narrating to the audience that isn't supposed to fucking exist he's explaining what's happening on the screen in order to fill in the blanks it's pure exposition and it's fucking lazy as shit i'm tired of that the non-existent audience is his subject regardless so the lack of black people in this movie he's got a whole peanut gallery of fucking morons that are uglier than him just so happen to be uglier some of these dudes that they pick are actually like significantly uglier than him and i'm just like like, are they trying to do that in order to make Channing Tatum like stick out that he's like supposed to be good looking, even though I don't oh think God. he's good looking? Regardless, <laughs> it's like he doesn't have okay so there's this whole thing in this movie about like romanticizing bohemian living right like yeah. she leaves her waspy lifestyle in law school in order to like drop out and become an artist and like fall in love with Channing Tatum even though he's an artist too he's a recording studio guy and they want to like start a life together and whatnot and they live in this like bohemian world that is oddly expensive in terms of the interior <laughs> yeah. but regardless uh, so, that's pretty good. <laughs> and, but they can't afford insurance they can afford that fucking apartment on the north side of fucking chicago but they can't <laughs> afford health, health insurance i digress besides the fact so, you gotta have priorities gabe yeah obviously nice apartment but, loft style <laughs> well, he does have like three other roommates too there's that part you know are those his roommates though yeah. I, I was confused yeah. by that because i was like this doesn't establish that they're living there but they're like there yeah it doesn't really make sense but yeah uh, okay so they, they but, are he does they do have like a shitload of roommates like i, I don't even I, know how many I was bringing this up because I wanted to talk about how if you want to establish these people as like being bohemian like people and being like more liberal and whatnot and they don't have one black friend I'm like okay this is like I was talking to my <laughs> wife about this is that while Chicago is so segregated as it is it's like this is a real problem Chicago is one of those uh, those like really photogenic cities right like everybody wants to film there because it's, it's a beautiful city it really is like if you haven't been to Chicago it's beautiful the Field Museum 
Millennium is absolutely amazing. Millennium Park is beautiful. But it's like every time they shoot in New York or Chicago, it has the same problem is that like people have this romanticized view of what Chicago and New York are <laughs> and they only film in those areas. Yeah. Living in New York, the chief offender of this that I can point out and I will fucking dog on this for a while. Not right now, but the, the TV show Girls, the TV show Girls supposedly takes place in Brooklyn, but every single fucking scene in that show takes place in the whitest neighborhood in Brooklyn that you can go to, which is <laughs> Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And she's just like, the whole thing is about being like Brooklyn centric and whatnot, but she never once, never once mentions Bed-Stuy or Brownsville or East New York or any of the other neighborhoods that actually make Brooklyn what Brooklyn actually is. And it pisses me off. And like, I was saying the same thing about this is that they make Chicago to look out to be like this romantic, beautiful city. But I'm like, Chicago's fucked up. Like, if you've been around Chicago, <laughs> like there's some yeah. fucked up areas of Chicago. And to deny that is to deny the heart of Chicago and it rips the fucking heart out of it. You know what I mean? And like, it just whitewashes, <laughs> to be completely honest, it whitewashes the yeah. fucking city. And it pisses me off but i digress i'm gonna come back to this later <laughs> but <laughs> but setting up the central conflict is her like you know not having her memory and like somehow like attaching to her obviously dickhole parents <laughs> you know what i mean yeah like it's just manipulative man <laughs> all right all right so i'm gonna disagree i mean it is cheap but it's realistic enough in that when you go through some trauma like that that you're gonna go back to the things that are comfortable to your parents to your parents and the life that you understand and know versus the one i mean they make a whole i mean half the movie is exploring why <laughs> she doesn't understand she doesn't even get him or the whole lifestyle or what she was before this accident <laughs> And so, yeah, but she goes back she, to being, you know, Stepford wife in the in the suburbs for a while. Because but that's she, what she says, knows. but she says that she can't remember this shit, you know, just about him, like this five year period that she can't remember. She can't remember that she can remember Jeremy and everything before Jeremy. But she would inevitably remember that her parents were waspy dickheads. You know, like that's <laughs> not something that just happened when All right. Taylor I grew up. I, I've realized that I've grown up in a waspy dickhead kind of <laughs> lifestyle and you don't, it takes, it takes some learning to understand that to get the perspective outside of that lifestyle. Mm. And that's what half of this movie is about, is her coming to terms with her waspy lifestyle <laughs> and why she left it to begin with. So I, I don't agree with you on that. Like, I, I think it's all about her coming to terms with getting rid of all that bullshit. Because her real moment of realization was after she had left law school, which is what she doesn't remember, and like all that other shit and breaking up with Jeremy. And what, that's, that's your argument? Yeah. Is what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'll, I'll leave that for a second and see if it comes up later. I don't, I don't know if it does, but let, let's just leave that for a second. So <laughs> they, they reveal, again, they reveal that this guy and her live on the north side. But as a record studio, like owner of like a failing <laughs> record studio, like, again, how does he fucking like afford this shit? <laughs> they show it later that like, this, this is what I'm now. saying. This is what I'm saying about these people that I don't know if they're roommates or whatever is that like they aren't there for a majority of the scenes. They're in that scene near the beginning where he like makes pancakes for her and shit. Like they're in the scene during that and it kind of feels like they're their roommates. But then they pop up here and there in this weird like bullshit like random scenes where they need exposition. But in a majority of the scenes where they're in their apartment, these people aren't around. So I'm like, okay, yeah. he is a failing fucking record <laughs> producer and like that's like hemorrhaging money so much so that he can't afford health insurance. And like she yeah. obviously isn't doing great when it comes to 
the fucking like <laughs> art shit, but like somehow they can afford this great place on the north side of Chicago. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna put an end to this. They just simply have massive, massive credit card debt, and that's it. That's the you simple know, explanation, right? I've there. never tried to put rent on a credit card, but. <laughs> Well, you put everything else on a credit card. Oh, uh, and then the, you know, the rent you pay in liquidity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah, and then, you know, and then what you do is uh, once you build up enough debt to no one giving you money, then you <laughs> declare bankruptcy and start again, <laughs> AKA our president, Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Six well, months. actually, Six now you time. hide, you hide the loaned money in <laughs> offshore accounts. So <laughs> bankruptcy court can't find it. And then you bring yeah, it back. Yeah. And they out. also can't bring it back. Okay. Yeah. yeah no. Yeah. Okay. I get, I get it. Yeah. It's good. That's a very wild waspy thing to do actually yeah, no, that's, that's <laughs> just good money i mean it's good money management dude <laughs> so moving on the first scene when he brings her home this is me going into him being a selfish piece of shit <laughs> because he brings her home to their home which she doesn't remember to a place with this guy that she doesn't really know and he decides <clears throat> that a welcome home party with 30 fucking people that she doesn't know <laughs> is a good idea like this guy is the most selfish idiotic like <laughs> I get it. You know, like he's a, he's a meathead. Like he doesn't know any yeah, better. He can't think with his brain. Tatum. I mean, they, dude, <laughs> the whole movie is, it's not too far of a stretch. He's a well-intentioned meathead. And, but there are consequences. They make it abundantly clear that he can't be a dumbass and win her back. He, I mean, that the party immediately fails and he realizes how <laughs> fucking stupid he was. Here, here, so. here, here's where it comes. Here's, okay. So the second, the second act structure of a movie is called fun and games right it's where you introduce all these details that cause conflict throughout that actually exacerbate the original conflict which was in act one right so this is one of these details that would exacerbate the conflict that's in act one which is that she has amnesia and she doesn't know any of these people and he wants to reconnect with her but like flooding this shit in will just distance her even more but if you're not if you're not trying to cram this goddamn thing in 101 minutes <laughs> or 104 minutes like they could have set this same scene a couple scenes later and had a better emotional payoff and i say that because they could have had this scene where she comes home and she's trying to orient herself and she's never been around it and it's this very intimate scene where she's just kind of like drifting from room to room and we see the tragedy of that we see the yeah. tragedy of her not being and understanding her space and her stuff and like what's important to her and this life that she built but you do that scene and then a couple other scenes and then you drop this scene about the welcome home party and you like well i thought you were doing really well you know like you you had the pictures out and i thought you were remembering so i thought i'd have some people around you drop the scene then and it pays off better because yeah. then he is forced to reconcile with himself that he's rushing her and that you know maybe she's not ready for that shit but to drop it immediately it's just <laughs> fucking idiotic and it's like it didn't need to be like that like you could have very easily structured it slightly differently well okay had a better so they, payoff they build up his his character in the beginning as like a hopeless romantic who made big kind of stupid but charming acts where he's standing in the rain and all of that like <laughs> so he thinks big i feel like he's well-intentioned but yeah he's a dumbass <laughs> but he learns he has to learn through this whole movie that he's dealing with something that yeah. it, i mean it's really sad that the life that they had is destroyed and it's all about coming i mean they get divorced at the end or like near the end and i mean it's all about their journey realizing that the life they had is over right and the relationship that they had is done and <laughs> they they i mean they kind of foreshadow that they build it up again but it doesn't it's kind of ambiguous 
<laughs> but my 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 argument is that I get it. I get the overall structure. I get what they're trying to go for. But like none of the scenes that they're working with in the second act deserve where they're going near the end. Like when she just drops the divorce papers on him, I'm like, wow, like they are making her out to be an extremely selfish person. Like there is nothing about these characters that is redeemable. But I was, yeah, I was watching this with my wife and she's like, wow, I remember loving this movie, but now I realize that she's kind of a horrible person. (laughs) No shit. This explores two different sides of the whole memory loss thing. And I think it does a decent job of Make you a little more aware of what you have to deal with in a situation of traumatic injury. Like he is trying all these different things and failing again and again. And, you know, that's frightening. At the same time, you see it from her perspective where, I mean, she just fucking woke up and there's this fucking dude and yeah, he's ripped. So why not? This was exactly the same problem that I had with that movie called Eat, Pray, Love with Julia Roberts. Like, it's supposed to be this, like, movie about self-discovery <laughs> and, like, whatnot. And this woman, like, trying to extricate herself out of some really toxic relationships in her life. But she just gets into more toxic relationships. Yeah. And she just becomes this, like, unbelievably selfish person throughout yeah. that movie. And then she has her namaste <laughs> moment that she goes to India. And it's like, oh, wow, way to culturally surf, you dumb motherfucker. Like, <laughs> ignorant shit, man. Like, really, really yeah. ignorant shit. That bu- the book comes off the same way. You're just like, wow. <laughs> You just fucking cultural tourist felt enlightened. Great. <laughs> yeah. Such such a contributor now. Yeah, thank God you wrote a book. We, what would we have done without your book? So it's a good thing that, you know, their first night together when they go back home that he just happens to sleep naked on the couch and he's so par- perfectly oh, soft lit. lit. Oh from man, the, oh, that was dude. some sexy lighting. <laughs> I don't know who the DP was, but I mean, I bet they spent... There were some workshops into how to light his body and like how to make that. Well, to, to be honest, definition. <laughs> to be honest, there is actually there is actually like a real art to like lighting naked people. Like I'm I'm saying this. As oh a, yeah. I'm saying this as a grip. Like as a grip, like your your job is to like shape and cut and soften the light so that way it achieves whatever it is that you're trying to like do in the scene, right? And so like there's a very specific way that you go about it. And like when it comes to sex scenes, I'm never ever ever (laughs) surprised about how long it takes to light a sex scene and like without a doubt every single time there's always a moment where whether i'm pushing dolly where i'm behind the dolly or something or i'm holding something that needs to be like floated in over the actors because they're doing like a wide that moves in close or whatever that i have to stand there as two half naked people (laughs) with like these cock socks over their like genitals so that way there's no actual (laughs) genital contact are like slamming at each other and it's weird like it's really weird (laughs) like it's one of those things that they don't tell you when you go into the film business is that like filming sex scenes is weird as fuck like it's bizarre (laughs) i feel bad for people that work on movies like uh like uh the 50 shades of gray movies or movies that are like completely based upon sexual encounters because i'm just like that's gotta suck dude I've had plenty of like weird like sexual scenes shot in front of me and it's just like it never gets easier. It's just always awkward and always weird. There's like 
I did this TV show just a minute ago where like there was this sex scene that was happening where she had to get up in the middle of sex and like leave. But then she approaches camera, but like where she approaches camera, like I'm sitting right in front of her and I have to like float this thing in front of her because as she gets closer to the light, she brightens up and the DP didn't like that because it calls attention to the light. So I needed to like float something in front of her. So she's standing there literally naked in front of me, like (laughs) a foot away from my face. And I'm standing, I'm sitting on this box, like with my arms all curled in, like trying to float this thing in and people are constantly telling me like don't look up don't look at her keep your your eye line to the ground so that way she doesn't think that you're ogling her or whatever i'm like how the (laughs) how the fuck am i supposed to know where i'm landing this thing like i gotta look for the shadow and they're like well just just try and i was like okay fine whatever you know i'm like i'm looking at the ground like trying to do my job and i can still see out of my peripherally like this naked woman standing in front of me i'm like i have a weird fucking job like if i had to explain to people what i do for a living some weird shit <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a really long digression. So let's let's move back into this for a second. So it seems coincidental to me that everything that defines her character throughout this movie is literally from this man coming into her life. And I say this because this movie fails the Bechtel test on every single fucking level, dude. Like this movie <laughs> is one of the worst when it comes to that. This woman has no identity outside of the men that she loves. Everything is defined by what a man did to her or what she wants to do with a man in order to get where she needs to go. I don't agree with that. She She's the one who left the wasp lifestyle and went to art school. And it's implied that several years later or, you know, sometime later she met him. And she has made her way as an artist without him. And in fact, he started his record company or whatever his studio because of her influence so so she's the the influence on him and he's lost without her remind me for a second paul (laughs) when when the big reveal happens later that her dad was banging her friend if i remember correctly yeah did she know that prior to her hooking up with Channing Tatum? Yeah, she that's why she left and she left law school and went to art school. So it just so happened, it just so happened that the one thing that caused her to move on with her life and abandon everything that her foster <laughs> parents happened to want for her happened to occur <laughs> around the same time that her fucking amnesia kicked in. No, no. This the, amnesia is like unbelievably they, specific, <laughs> man. It's very specific. <laughs> but no, no. The 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 father fucking the friend incident took place kind of early on in her life. Yeah. Before she met Tatum. Yeah. But she had her own direction and her own independence before she met him. All right, hang on, hang on. So I, I, I gotta take a comedic But she she knew all that. But they talk about like, oh, why she never talked to her parents for like five years, right? Yeah. The whole time Channing Tatum has known her, he's never met her parents because <laughs> of that falling out. Right. So, and he didn't want to reveal it to her because after she lost her memory because it wasn't his place to say it and blah 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to I want to take a quick detour real quick on a comedic route because <laughs> Channing Tatum, I, you know, I knew about him and I had been watching his movies prior to me watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. But there's this there's an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where uh, Dee is like sleeping with a stripper and she uses Channing Tatum as like a 
pronoun saying that like <laughs> oh you're just mad that i'm sleeping with a Chan- with a channing tatum right now and charlie <laughs> looks at her and he's like what what word are you trying to say a, a charming taint man what are you trying to say <laughs> And all I can think of is charming taint man oh, every man. time I look at him. But oh, no, whenever I see him, I think of this is the end where he has that little cameo. Oh where yeah, wearing, where he wants to suck everybody. Wearing the S and M. He's like, he's get a load of Channing Tate yum. He's the he's the butt boy and he's constantly yeah. offering himself up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a great cameo. That is a good cameo. I like that one a lot. <laughs> So coming back to this movie for a second, where did I leave off? Oh, uh, so I, I have a real problem with story structure here. And this is this is something that I was actually wrong about. So I would admit that I was wrong. But there's this very shitty seed that is planted in the second act where they introduce the assistant that he works with at the studio. And she just so happens to be like really cute. And like she's into the same shit as him. And she's asking about his wife and like all the fucking shit that's going on in his life. And I'm like, oh, great. Now they're setting up the second act turnaround where like he ends up falling in love with his assistant and, like his wife fucking walks in and blah 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 blah. and i was wrong on that angle but it doesn't change the fact that okay so it's not at all different like in the in the film industry versus the music industry like there is a whole slew of production people surrounding it and like to believe that this one girl that is his only fucking employee that is like running the studio in his absence is like this cute and this hip and this cool is like extremely manipulative (laughs) i'm like come on man like it's i might have believed that this is just the way that it is like it just so happened that he lucked out with this like totally awesome chick that happened happens to be his fucking like assistant like get the fuck out of here it's just <laughs> manipulative bullshit and i'm tired and she just when she stands up this is the worst part Typical when highlighted. she stands up when she stands up when they're talking about like oh you know like she's coming there she's she's like she's getting there you know blah, blah 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 the assistant stands up and she turns her back to the camera and it just so happens that she's wearing these low rise like really tight fucking jeans and i'm like come on man like <laughs> this is manipulative as shit i mean maybe it's uh one way to build your business you know is you it have some you have some, some eye candy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he's one half of the equation, she's the other, you know? Yeah, it depends sure. on which way the, the door swings for you, which one you want. But I'll be even more specific. <laughs> having having his main source of income being a source of stress because it's not doing too well and they continually bring that up and then like positioning the wife as like a moment of conflict that she goes like missing for a second. He goes crazy trying to find her because she doesn't pick up her fucking phone and he like ditches this important meeting that could have like brought <laughs> some money back in. Like again, you're, you're manipulating her into being a source of conflict rather than being like- All right, that's a real thing. My, my dad- would go on walks and disappear and we would literally have to call I the get cops that. To i get that i get that i'm because not when you i'm have not no debating memory, that you are incredibly disorientated i'm not debating so, that i'm saying it's a real deal man i'm saying that did your dad go missing when you just happened to be like needing to be at this important business meeting that was going to keep your fucking like company afloat i mean i had to do a lot of shit to keep my parents alive (laughs) during that point in my life and so i mean no i didn't have to interrupt an important business meeting but it was 
constant inconvenience to me for yeah, sure. For sure. For sure. So eh, it's real enough that that could happen. And <laughs> it's happened to me where I've had to go literally driving around on the streets looking for my dad to see if I could find where he disappeared to. Maybe I'm just a soulless prick then and I'm not being sensitive to I that. I think so, man. <laughs> I think you're an asshole. <laughs> you're not sensitive <laughs> to people who have uh, suffered traumatic brain injuries. Oh, for sure. Okay. So <laughs> I'll, I'll move on to something else then <laughs> is that throughout this movie every goddamn tv that they pan to happens to have a giant sony logo plastered right in the <laughs> fucking center of it and it's like okay so like i've owned i've owned several sony tvs over the course of my lifetime and they do not have a giant lit logo in the middle of it that's only specific models and it's very very specific models and i'm like wow sony is really going hard in order to sell some shit on this movie man again i don't get this with sony pictures shit man like am i supposed to be so like amazed that i've been inundated with these fucking messages that i need to leave like right away as soon as i leave from the theater and go and buy a sony product is that is that their fucking no i mean it's i think it's it's supposed to be more subliminal than that that (laughs) You know, suddenly you're on the market for uh, a camera and you're like, well, I've seen Ghostbusters 2016 and they had a pretty good camera. I liked how it looked in that movie. So maybe I'll check it out. Yeah, it works. I just I want to know. I want to know like actual numbers here of like what their like retention rate is on people directly related to their film business to like their sales on their home electronics, because it seems like I mean, I've said this before in multiple episodes is that like this it's like ridiculous at some point it's like who the fuck (laughs) who the fuck owns a sony phone like what the fuck is that (laughs) completely confused it's free it's free advertising for them i guess i would not pass it up if i were sony (laughs) if i worked for a conglomerate like them my my movies would be like egregious (laughs) like boring like blatant boring yeah so no it's it's you'd have like a sony tattoo between his butt cheeks <laughs> or something like that it's like it's like a michael bay movie where they like jam advertising down your goddamn fucking throat every second <laughs> but, uh, i didn't I, actually notice it in this movie i did not notice a i mean it, it, it wasn't as bad but i counted it i wasn't looking for instances, it at yeah. least four instances i was like yeah. fuck you sony like what's going on but but no i it wasn't so so obvious like some of their other movies <laughs> so but, I want uh, I want to bring up how blatantly obvious their fucking vows are, okay? Don't go and Google this because it's not worth your goddamn time because Kim is a fucking cocksucker. <laughs> like, I hate that guy. But, like, when you actually see Kim and Cricket's, like, actual vows, none of them are like this movie, okay? It's, like, it's pretty... I mean, I don't want to, like, shit on anybody's vows, but it was, like, pretty typical. But besides the fact, in this movie, their vows are so manipulative when it comes to the storyline... <laughs> Everything in their vows is about memory and remembering each other and remembering to be there for each other. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is so fucking great that it just so happens to be a movie about somebody losing their fucking memory. Like, <laughs> I mean, you can, you can try to be clever about like remembering something when it comes to a relationship because a lot of the subtext of a relationship comes from the minor moments that you remember. It's something extremely specific about your spouse or your loved one that you remember if they're gone, you know what I mean? And like, for instance, like my wife, the one of the things that she does that drives me fucking insane that I tell her about all the time is- Wait, 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 does she listen to 
this? Yeah, Maybe she listens to this. <laughs> okay. But she does this thing where she she likes, I think it's disgusting, but she likes those macaroni shells where it comes with the Velveeta cheese packet. Oh. <laughs> so nasty. <laughs> But, but she opens up the she opens up the box and she'll make it and she'll dump the noodles in and whatnot. She'll do the whole thing. But she'll leave the empty box and the empty fucking pouch of cheese on the counter. Does not fail. She always fucking does it. And like I brought it up multiple times over the 10 years that I've been with my wife. And I'm like, you know, I laugh and I bitch and I complain. But like if she was gone, that would be something that I would remember about her. You know what yeah. I would mean? I would remember that. It's a very oh. explicitly specific there would be no box for you to throw away <laughs> yeah exactly but it would be yeah. it's this extremely specific thing that makes relationships what they are and this movie does not have any of that like a movie about memory and whatnot and they just glaze over this yeah. in the broadest terms possible there is, is no true. small detail in this movie that actually feels yeah. like it's real the only thing that i brought up to my wife was because my wife does the same thing is that rachel mcadams on the first night or on the first morning that she's there she wakes up in the morning and she opens up the cupboard in order to get something and she leaves the cupboard open as she comes back to the table i'm like you yeah. fucking do that shit and that was the closest that they got to like actually being a real moment but everything Flashing else out. is yeah. just so fucking yeah. broad that this movie yeah. none of these people feel real to me now there's uh yeah there's some some missing character work they could have done something oh, sure. more specific yeah <laughs> i'll agree with that i mean channing tatum yeah he's pretty channing tatum in this it's uh there's not much to his character nothing yeah no not at all endearing i mean i watched this movie several years ago and i could all i could remember was his gratuitous nude scene <laughs> <laughs> that so, had there was like a car accident right that's it so I, I, I don't know anything about the real life couple or the real life woman's parents, but like these people are like excessively waspy, bro. Like these are like <laughs> Connecticut, like stronghold waspy yeah. fucks. No, I mean, it's, it's definitely written from a perspective of the bohemian wannabe in the city kind of trying to justify their lifestyle <laughs> to... The, the waspy stereotypes so, so much so that the dad wears a fucking suit jacket to dinner and he doesn't even <laughs> unbutton that shit when he sits down and i'm like come on man like, but the, the one of the one of the strangest parts of this is it's like again it's manipulation in terms of the screenwriting is that he's sitting there and he's eating dinner with his wife's folks that he hasn't really hung out with a lot. And like, they don't know anything about him. And he randomly brings up his parents somehow. And he says like, my parents are dead. And like her parents don't react at all. I'm like, okay, you don't like somebody. That's one thing. Okay. And you're waspy as shit. But like to not acknowledge this other human being, especially, okay, I'm going to be straight up real here. Is that especially this white boy, because these people are waspy as shit and they aren't going to like agree if she was dating a mexican or a black guy god forbid but like this white boy is telling you that his parents are dead <laughs> and her parents are that big a cunts that they aren't even gonna fucking acknowledge it no the screenplay works like first moment you meet them you're like wow these are these are some cunts and i already hate <laughs> them and i don't get it i don't know i think sam neil has a little bit of a character arc in this movie in the end he like comes back to her 
and you know he's ready he's ready like when she tells him she's leaving law school again he's like ready to be pissed and then he's like all right i'm gonna let you be your own woman back you already did this off. once before yeah yeah real yeah, real learn from my mistakes right. i'm gonna disagree with you there because it's like <laughs> that's not brave you know what i mean like that's just accepting reality it's like being brave is like accepting your kids like word on what they're doing because you know that it's good for them even though you feel in the back of your brain <laughs> that it may not be good or they may be struggling because of it but like to like bitch about something and then they do it anyway and then they have a traumatic brain injury and then they do it again it's just straight up like <laughs> manipulation bullshit all right so uh, you talk about <laughs> you talk about manipulation right what good movie that makes you feel emotional isn't manipulating you like i mean the good movies are the ones that do it classy like or they're they, not they, overt about it yeah they're not overt but you're still being manipulated like if you love movies you love being manipulated and you just have to like <laughs> you have to deal with that man <laughs> In okay so a movie that deserves where it goes, it's not manipulative like this bullshit is the, the movie that I mentioned earlier, uh, Away From Her. Yeah. Like this is a this is a movie where it's about a, an older couple who his wife is in like a nursing home and he's trying to win her back even though she has Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's, if you've never dealt with somebody with Alzheimer's, there's good and there's bad days. There's days where it seems like they remember things and days where they don't. And that movie profits on that shit because it's honest about it. And it's little things. Yeah. It's like It's like being out with Julianne Moore. It's like things where she doesn't remember how to unlock a door so she can go to the bathroom and she ends up peeing her pants because she doesn't. And it's like these shameful things that make people real. This movie doesn't have any of that. It's just all this glazed over bullshit that doesn't make... No, it's totally glossy. You can't have a Valentine's Day movie that puts you down. (laughs) I mean, if it closes that that snatch for you, I mean, you just wasted like 40 fucking dollars at least. (laughs) I mean, if you include dinner in that. Dude, I I will share a real story for a second. (laughs) A friend of mine, a friend of mine, he took this girl out and he went to go see Requiem for a Dream on a date. (laughs) What the fuck? Did he have any idea? I don't know if he had any idea because at that point it was like Darren Aronofsky had only done pie and I don't think he had seen pie. And like, we didn't really know what we were walking into in terms of like where he was going with his career. But anybody that read the book, you knew what you were walking into because that book is fucked up. Like that's one of the worst (laughs) fucked up books I've ever read in my life. But like he took his date to that and he had bought dinner before and they went to go see this movie and like it was all great at dinner and they were getting hot and heavy and whatnot. And then when they saw this movie, it like fucking crushed that shit. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why would no. you pick that? It's, like, it's an yeah. NC-17 rated this... movie for a reason. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is God this damn. is obviously a date movie, and look, you have to. I, like... I'm going to share a real piece of information here. When I when I was still dating around, you know, what was the movie that did it was uh, was showing Finding Nemo, and you showed yourself tearing up while you were watching Finding Nemo. <laughs> Yeah. that did it and i was just i was surprised by that i was like are you fucking serious like finding <laughs> nemo is tragic as shit <laughs> god damn this tragedy what does it uh, and i got some very mixed messages there for a wait, while was that like your your standard game right there no like... i i noticed it with i noticed it with one ex-girlfriend and then like yeah. i tried it on the next one and then I tried it on a girl past that. And once I got to the three, I was like, what the fuck? Like, I'm not going to continue this shit, but this is really weird. This can't be, this can't be real. Like, I can't, I can't actually believe that this is working. But regardless, I'm, I'm probably going to cut all this shit out. <laughs> so 
I, I want to talk about manipulation again, because of course she goes to meet Jeremy, right? And I uh, get it. It's the last thing that she remembers, whatnot. Okay. Once but again, he is like perfectly cast in this role. She, go, she right? goes to meet Jeremy and she gets introduced or he gets introduced here as the second act conflict, right? And Scott Speedman looks like a, fu- okay, I'm going to make a reference here that I don't think everybody's going to realize what I'm referencing, but like Scott Speedman looks like a fucking lot lizard. Okay. If you don't know what a lot lizard is, it's a fucking male prostitute at truck stops. There's <laughs> like this whole sub joke in one of the, it's always sunny in Philadelphia episodes with uh, Tom Sizemore playing a trucker where he talks about like the two of them being lot lizards and they go on this like long rant about lot lizards regardless. <laughs> Like he looks like a fucking lot lizard, but she goes to him and of course he's, of course he's successful. And of course oh, he's yeah. everything that fucking Channing Tatum he's, is not. He's the height of waspy like yeah, success. For sure, man. <laughs> but she goes there and I don't know what exactly she was expecting. I get, I, I don't know how realistic this is when it comes to memory loss, but I feel like she knows this is a bad idea. But the fact that she does it anyway is just falling back in line with the Becktail test that like everything in her life has everything to do with men rather than like her actual definition of herself as a person. And she just has yeah. to go there and she just happens to kiss him. And that sets up the second half conflict where he like fucking punches him in the face. And everybody <laughs> gets angry at him and whatnot. You know, and her parents, her parents are straight up pieces of shit like i don't know why jeremy happens to be at every goddamn function that her family does but i'm like what the fuck it's high society man it's high society and all the wasps know each other and yeah that's exactly how it works gabe i mean let me let me into the secrets of white people okay (laughs) the white people hang out with each other they They all know each other (laughs) They, they hate each other but they still need each other to, uh, you know, is this, do business with. Is this some like eyes that. wide shut shit? <laughs> that they're going to have like some weird sex orgy and oh, prop oh it off God, of yes. each other? That's wait, exactly what you Wait do. a second. If that's white culture. I got a good, I got a good stock tip at one of those. <laughs> An eyes wide shut orgy. <laughs> but I wanted to bring this up, Paul. This was like a new segment that I was trying to introduce to you, but like the science beef that we had been talking about. And I wanted to get your opinion on this because this is a real science beef when it comes to memory loss, okay? So when she gets home, there's one scene where he comes home and she's sitting on the table and she has all these printed photos out all over the table. And she's looking through them and she's putting them in order and whatnot. Does this woman in 2011 not have a fucking Facebook page (laughs) where she can actually look over like her thoughts throughout the years and whatnot and see like her progression on her timeline. Like literally if nothing else, I mean, Facebook now is like discrimination (laughs) of bullshit information, but like now, like, you know, at at some point she could have looked over it and been like, Oh, look at these fun memories that I posted. And she has like a Sony smartphone, which who the fuck has that shit. But she's like, posting shit to Facebook. I'm sorry. Go ahead. She forgot. She forgot her Facebook password. Are you she, fucking her pre wasp life? God damn it. Her her pre wasp or her her wasp life before she left was all the photos, but then she didn't have any photos because they were all digital, but they were all locked in Facebook. <laughs> she forgot the goddamn password for it and her email. I mean, she doesn't know any of that stuff anymore. So it's like oh, dude. all she has to hold on to are her analog photos <laughs> of her previous life 
the rest of it isn't real. So that's not a science beef for you. Seems plausible. I mean, okay. Imagine, let, let me ask you this. What would happen if Apple, Google, and Facebook, all their servers went down? Like, what would you have to show that your life is real right now? Like going back like the past 10 years, if their servers were gone, like how much shit would you actually have to show? I mean, to be honest, it would be like, <laughs> yeah. it would be like uh, shit that I, still stills that I took when I was in the film industry, like on my phone and on my backups. You would lose so much though, right? My wedding and yeah. Yeah. There's I mean. lots of specific stuff, but you're like kind of dated stuff is all on the cloud yeah. now yeah and so if that went down you would have nothing <laughs> nothing to show that you actually existed for long periods of time there's actually there's actually this great short film i'm gonna have to post a link to it on the facebook page but it's like there's this short film it's like eight minutes long and it's called i think it's called the digital singularity or something like that i'll post a link to yeah. it but it's like a short film that's based on that premise of the sci-fi concept of if Facebook and everything else went down. And it talks about these people like having this real gap in their life about what the fuck, like all of this history is gone and we don't have any like way of like showing it or re-experiencing it because it was all on Facebook. It's really good. And like, I'm not joking when I say that I saw this in like 2012, 2013, and I literally went online. There's a, a feature on Facebook that you can download your entire history History into a file with pictures and videos and everything and you can store it on your hard drive yeah. and i did that immediately after seeing the fucking thing because i was just like it's true man like if tomorrow i deleted my facebook because i'm angry about all this bullshit that's on facebook these days i would lose everything like all this shit yeah. i've been on facebook since 2005 like fucking 15 yep. years have been on facebook you know what yeah. i mean it's ridiculous but i'm gonna move on here for a second <laughs> <laughs> so I want to get into another section that I kind of want to develop on this podcast, Paul, and that's the uh, the sandwich beef that I was talking to you about. So yeah, this isn't is really a sandwich. In this this isn't really. A, I don't. Recall. This isn't a sandwich thing. Okay. I mean, there's plenty this, of pastries. This is chocolate. This is an eats thing when it comes to Chicago. Okay. When it comes yeah. to the Midwest, specifically about Chicago. I got a real fucking beef about the way that they portray food in this movie because nobody eats a Chicago dog. That's number one. If you don't know what a Chicago dog is, it's basically a hot dog that has like peppers and a fucking pickle in the bun. It's not particularly interesting, but it's extremely specific to Chicago. It's got the poppy seeds too. Yeah, it's got the the poppy poppy seeds. seeds. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot that. Jesus, that's good. I'm going to get that. The other thing is that they never mention deep dish pizza. Like what the fucking shit? Dude, sorry. Sorry to Chicago, but that shit's nasty. Don't give a fuck. It's it's like a lasagna, but worse. So wait a second. So what what is your pizza of choice? Is it like New York thin crust style with the big fucking slices? I like the Neapolitan. I like like the the Neapolitan too, dude. The 800 degree shit. That would be my favorite yeah the small that's my go-to like, yeah with just few simple ingredients yeah. but like done as best as possible that that's my that go-to be my. too okay i i so, went to chicago on a mission to get the best deep dish pizza as far as where'd you go represents. do you remember ah, damn it i don't remember it was italian name and you okay. know there's like a couple of those places in chicago but i just got it and i'm like god damn one slice of this could feed a family <laughs> of five this is disgusting <laughs> <laughs> this, this is nasty. I will right? say, all right, so this is the first time that I'm going against Paul really hard is that his views do not represent the views of this podcast. 
Chicago deep dish pizza. There's, there's this, there's this small chain across the Midwest called Edwards, uh, Edwards pizza, Eduardo's pizza. It's one of the two. I can't remember, but like, it's like a fucking casserole or a fucking lasagna. And like the reason why they called it a pizza pie is that these dishes are like three or four inches deep. And it's like a fucking slice of pie. It's one crust yeah. on the bottom, all the fixings in the middle, another crust on top, and then usually some sauce and some cheese on the top. So it's like this really gooey, like fucking really deep dish shit. <laughs> but like to never show that and claim that this movie is Chicago and like these people grew up near Chicago, it's like, it's completely false, bro. I'm like, and I straight up want to call that shit because this is a real beef that I have with this movie. Chicago has a pretty amazing culinary scene. Mm -hmm. I think they, the characters in this movie have evolved beyond the base Chicago kind of typical, like you can't eat deep dish pizza <laughs> and standard 200 pounds. Like if you eat it more than once a year, you're, you're going to look like, you know, somebody from the Midwest. You're going to look, yeah. You're going to look like the guys in the Chris Farley skit, you know, from SNL. The bears, you know, they're, you're going to look like yeah, John candy trains, yeah. planes and automobiles. <laughs> Yeah, so I feel like you know I got I I really do have a real like problem Chicago has a lot of like Michelin rated restaurants. They have uh -huh. like a really awesome culinary scene that goes way beyond the deep dish pizza. But I, I gotta admit, man, like Chicago, I've had some good food in Chicago, and I got a real yeah. beef that they don't represent that shit in this <laughs> movie because it's ridiculous. Uh, I feel like if you live in Chicago, deep dish pizza isn't a thing for you. If you at least want to like live to beyond 45 without a <laughs> cardiac event in your life, like you just have to not do it. You know, what I'm saying? You know so. all right, let's get off the, get off the culinary angle for a second, because I, I have to say that like her dad, like fucking her friend ridiculousness is like some <laughs> really manipulative American beauty wannabe bullshit. And, like, well, okay. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's put it on you for a second. If your mom fucked one of your friends, would you ever want to be around that? No, I, I'm not saying that I would either, <laughs> but my point is, is like using that as like a crutch in order to motivate her is just yet again, another instance of like her being motivated by a man's actions towards her that like gets her to do yeah. something with her life. It's irritating. It's like, this isn't, it's yeah. not, it's not advancing her character without men doing something towards her. And that shit really pisses me off. I'm like, it's not, it's reductive toward women at the very least. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Listen, I'll give you that. Yeah, <laughs> no, it. There's a lot in the script that is contrived, and it's very manipulative. So in this movie, you know, like she she moves out, she chooses to like get away from law school and does the whole thing again that her dad was afraid of. But she just happens to like coincidentally open the box of clay that happened to have her vows in it. It just happens to be snowing outside roughly exactly a year later after all this bullshit. Like, come on, how many coincidences can you stack on each other in order to like create the ending of your movie? You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm okay with coincidence, okay? Like I, I still, as much as I think that Brokeback Mountain should have won best picture i still like the movie crash because i do enjoy the way that it's written i think it's interesting but it is extremely coincidental and manipulative toward the end of the movie <laughs> but regardless i'm like dude this is like six fucking coincidences stacked on at the same time in order to get her into this place and it just so happens that they both leave and they just happen to both go to the mnemonic cafe it just <laughs> happens to be closed and they she just happens to have been hung, hanging out 
out with his friend who was at the party who had that boyfriend Kyle I can't remember her name but just happens to have been hanging out with her and talking about is it coincidence or is it fate it's a crock of shit is what it is (laughs) (laughs) it's too much you know what i mean like it's this is actually a huge point that i wanted to talk to you about when you brought up uh that movie passengers last week for like maybe a movie we could talk about that script was on the blacklist for like five years the blacklist if you don't know is this like collection that the industry puts out every year of like universally acclaimed scripts that have not been made for one reason or another and like there's this movie called passengers which was made into a movie with jennifer lawrence and uh Chris, what the fuck is that Chris's name? Regardless, the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy, whatever yeah, his yeah, name yeah. is. I don't Chris know. Pratt. Pratt, there you go. Fucking man. generic Chris White Boy, man. Like, come on. All right, anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's they made it a new movie with that but like they fucked up the entire script they just completely rewrote it for the movie but in the actual script script but the last 10 pages of that script fuck up the intention of like the rest of it and like it just turns into this hollywood bullshit at the end and it's exactly the same thing with this movie it's like oh okay we've written ourselves into this place where we need to start reconciling shit and in the last 10 pages of the movie we're just going to reconcile all the ridiculousness that we've created <laughs> over the course of this life is full of unexplicable events gabe yeah it's a it's an act of nature we'll never understand but all i was touched (laughs) i was touched somewhere that's for sure (laughs) so all that being said ladies and gentlemen that is the movie the vow uh next week paul i don't know what you want to dig around on i remember that i had mentioned Waterworld to you last week oh yeah that's good I fucking hate I, that movie. <laughs> yeah, I love that movie. It's so good. <laughs> I'm gonna put the, all right. I just uh, emailed you a kind of spreadsheet list of things to work on, perhaps. Okay. Uh, you yeah. added Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie film <laughs> for theaters. <laughs> I love that goddamn movie, dude. I can't bitch about that movie one. You one. can't bitch. All right. Oh I mean, god, I love that kind movie. Of, it's kind of real bad, but at the same time, it's oh amazing. yeah. Oh it's yeah, amazing. it's amazing. <laughs> I don't know. I th- but the final season of Game of Thrones, man, like that's that's a lot to tackle yeah, there. And like straight up, I'll just straight up say it at the end like near the end of this podcast is like <sighs> fuck <laughs> fuck DB yeah. Weiss and David Benioff, dude. Yeah. Like their betrayal of all fans <laughs> of Game of Thrones is inexplicable. Yeah. It's just a fad, you know, the whole... Yeah, it was absolutely like, a fad. Shitting, sh- well, no, I'm talking about not... Game of Thrones was a fad, but the uh, subverting expectations thing, <laughs> that was a fad. It like did the it ending with, of Lost? Like, Lost, Last Jedi, or, yeah, Last Jedi. <laughs> Last Skywalker? La- or no, no, no. Last Jedi? Yeah, Ryan Johnson's one. Like, okay. Like, there's a bunch, there's a string of things that came out that were all about giving the middle finger to the fans <laughs> because you would go on Reddit and you'd see the ending that they had already written in their script before they fucking filmed it. And they're like, well, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you fans. I'm going to go in a different direction. However I fuck want. You. Even though that, re- even though my ending was great, you guessed it. So fuck you. But I, I don't know. That's going to have to be a deep dive. Alien Covenant would be pretty easy because yeah. I think both of you are on the same page or both of us are on the same page. That's a piece of shit movie. I feel like we get a little more in depth when there's some disagreement. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I don't know. Excellent example of this because I yeah. fucking hate Avatar. I, like, I feel I like we could 
much. I feel like we could uh, get in some good stuff on Avatar or Waterworld. The Human Centipede, like, I like <laughs> Human Centipede. I like the first one. The second one was an egregious pile of bullshit. <laughs> like, and the third one, the third one is actually unwatchable, know. dude. I don't it think took I saw me, that. It took me eight times to watch <laughs> Human Centipede 3. And the yeah. only reason that I watched it is I knew it was going to be the last one and I wasn't going to have to suffer through another one. I think one. we're going to have to we're going to have to watch that, but <laughs> what's going to be what do you want to watch? What Michael Bay movie do you want to do? You know, dude, Six Underground is so fucking god awful that like I think that that's something that both of us could dog on for a while, but if you want to get like actual contention here, it would have to be something like Avatar or Waterworld in yeah. order for us to get in contention. But like Six Underground is a fucking terrible pile of shit <laughs> if we just want to beat something senselessly for two hours but you know if we want to get contention it's avatar or water world <laughs> what about like can you think of a like really bad steven spielberg movie i or... mean lost world is pretty fucking bad like that's a really bad movie <laughs> Yeah, I mean, 1941 yeah. is really fucking terrible too. Like, that's something that I honestly can't believe it came out of Spielberg's, like, you know, directorial. I feel like John Belushi carries enough of that movie <laughs> to make it fun. <laughs> like, sure, it, that movie would be nothing without John Belushi. Yeah, but I mean, if you would, I, I feel like get some of his antics on there. <laughs> like, how much cocaine was he doing during that movie? Anyway, all that being said, thank you guys for joining us. That was the vow. I fucking hate this movie, but Paul was sticking up for it. So anyway, uh, thank you guys once again. Once again, comment, subscribe, follow, you know, all that shit. You know, let us know what you guys have seen. Uh, another movie that you cannot impeach in any way is Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford because that movie is fucking brilliant. I don't care what your problem is with that movie. That's another perfect movie along with There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men. So I'm going on record right now. That yeah. shit cannot be fucking impeached. I'm going to say that as much as I love Jesse James, it's a bit slow. <laughs> like, especially kind of towards the end, it gets gets dragged down and pacing. Until he shoots him in the skull and then you're okay with it after that? Well, no, like the denouement after he shoots him in the skull, yeah. it's just like, it takes a long yeah, time. Yeah, there's 30 minutes after up. he kills Jesse James until yeah. the movie ends. Yeah, I, I don't know how they could have done it differently, but uh, I mean, without if, if like you, Brad if you read, Pitt's presence, you're just like... Eh. If you read the book, if you read the book, it's like it's like 500 pages <laughs> and like they kill Jesse James on page 300 and there's like 200 pages of epilogue that they cram into 30 minutes at the end of that movie. And it's like, it's kind of yeah. incredible actually how he condensed it, but it's like an excellent example. Uh, another great example is like Michael Ponke's like his book for the rep long before they made the made the movie like that book is an excellent example of like how to turn a movie or a book into a movie because like yeah. that book is like there's so much in it that's subtextual and internalized that i didn't know how they were going to make it into a movie and then i saw that shit and i was just like oh yeah that, that makes sense you know it's just brutality is what they're going after <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh it's like the long running thing with blood meridian you know like you talk about blood yeah. meridian that book is unadaptable if they make that into a movie like that shit it's going to be rated x for sure there's no way that they're going to make that movie into something that gets a broad release and they you can like put a lot into an r-rated movie they nowadays. need like 130 million dollars in order to do blood meridian yeah. dude like there's no way yeah. they can do it for less than 150 regardless 
this. So anyway, thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for going down this deep dive with uh, uh, talking about books and sci-fi authors and so on. Again, this is Movie Dicks. This is Gabriel Chavez. And I'm Paul Shendel. Thanks for joining us, guys. Yeah.